You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. Young Hye Sung, a postdoctoral associate, University of Florida, biomedical engineering in the Schmidt Lab. So, uh, Dr. Young, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Tell me what 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 kinds of uh, things happen inside the evil Schmidt Lab. What goes on there? Um, so, our lab is focused on utilizing naturally derived biomaterials to. Um, develop in vitro disease models, as well as creating scaffolds that can help um, nerve repair. So natural biomaterials, we largely use um, hyaluronic acid-based hydrogels, as well as uh, recent focus has been on using deserialized tissues. So that's what we do. Okay. I, I had thought that uh, nerves don't really regenerate or repair themselves. Do they? Is it just that they lack a scaffolding or... Um... Like what? What are the, what are the missing uh-huh. components to allow for nerve regeneration in the body? So it depends on the system. For central nervous system, the nerves um, the nerves don't regenerate spontaneously. Um, and in case of injury, that's particularly because of the um, extracellular matrix proteins that are deposited after the injury um, specifically inhibit um, exonal regeneration. So um, therapies that have um, worked in um, various literature include um, enzymes or proteases that particularly that specifically cleave these um, inhibitory extracellular matrix proteins. Um, so that's largely for the central nervous system. For um, peripheral nervous system, um, up until a certain um, injury length, um, the neurons can regenerate by themselves. Why do you think? Um... The central nervous system won't regenerate. Why is this extracellular matrix created? Is that the body's way just of trying to heal and isolate the damage, and but it doesn't account for the need for nerve regrowth? Um, yeah, so glial cells, like such as astrocytes that are present in um, brain and spinal cord um, upon injury, they become reactive, and then they deposit... Um, they actually deposit glial scar filled with um, conjointin sulfate um, pleuroglycan, pleuroglycans or CSPGs, which um, are the inhibitory um, components, but also the myelin sheath um, in the central nervous system, which is um, created by oligodendrocytes. Um, it breaks down, and also the breakdown of those myelins are inhibitory as well. Whereas in the peripheral nervous system, um, the Schwann cells, uh, which also create myelins, um, myelin sheaths. Um, these cells produce um, different types of ECM proteins. Um, and the ECM proteins that are derived by Schwann cells actually promote nerve regeneration. 
So I think it's a combination of um, different um, cellular compositions in central versus peripheral nervous system that's eliciting different responses. So is, I guess there's what cell-to-cell -cell communication between the, uh, the existing nerve cells and this newly created matrix, and the matrix mm -hmm. is telling the cells don't grow? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what's happening in the central nervous system, like for spinal cord injury, for example. Oh, okay. So what's, um, what's your goal is to replace or inhibit the, the current extracellular matrix so that the signaling doesn't occur or the growth of the matrix itself, itself doesn't so, occur? Like what's the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, um, so the initial work on spinal cord injury repair done by the Schmidt lab has focused on um, delivering I guess utilizing the biomaterials such as the um, hydrogels derived from peripheral nerve hydrogels because, um, as I said earlier, peripheral nervous system, they can regenerate, the nerves can regenerate because of um, the differences in ACM components. So what the Schmidt lab has done is um, you take out the nerve, the peripheral nerves, and then you deserialize them, meaning um, you subject you subject the nerve to a um, series of different treatments to remove the cellular components while retaining the um, extracellular matrix proteins. And then after that, you can digest these um, deserialized nerves to create injectable hydrogels. And you can take these um, pre-gel formulation and then inject it into the spinal cord um, lesion because what happens um, after spinal cord injury is that you get this um, lesion cavity that's basically just a hole in the middle of the spinal cord. So you can fill it with these um, injectable hydrogels created um, from the deserialized peripheral nervous nerves. Does that make sense? Um, I'm not sure if you can uh, maybe just explain it once more, like um, in a okay, slightly so, different way. Yeah. Okay. So, um, like earlier, I said the peripheral nervous system, um, the right. nerves can regenerate spontaneously, and because that's that's because of the different ECM components in the peripheral nervous system versus spinal um, mm -hmm. central nervous system. So what our lab has recently done is, um, so our lab, let's take a step back. Our lab um, is known for developing a technique to deserialize peripheral nerves. Um, so what the Schmidt lab has done earlier, like over a decade ago, is um, you take sciatic nerve from a rat and then yeah. you um, treat it with detergents um, and other buffers to remove the cells while retaining all the extracellular matrix proteins. Um, so what we have started doing recently is that you take those deserialized nerves and then you digest it in acid solution containing enzymes or proteases. Um, okay. Then you get this, um, then the nerves become like homogeneous solution, like the nerve and the acid enzyme cocktail becomes this homogeneous pre-gel solution. And then um, this becomes um, hydrogels after um, elevating the temperature as well as the pH of the pre-gel solution. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And this pre-gel solution, like before you, um, before you elevate the temperature, you can so neutralize the pH of the pre-gel solution to make it ready for um, gelation, like basically polymerizing to become this like jello-like structure. Okay, they're gotcha. like water turning into jello or something like that. Right. Um, so what you can do is you'll take this water-like structure with neutralized pH, and then you um, take it into a syringe, and then you inject it into a spinal cord lesion, which is actually a cavity or a hole in the middle of the spinal cord. 
And since it's in a body temperature, this um, pre-gel solution from deserialized peripheral nerves, um, when the temperature of this gets elevated to a body temperature, um, it'll, for, it'll turn into a gel and then it'll start to fill the spinal cord lesion cavity. And the goal is that we can use this strategy to um, entice the, the severed neurons in the spinal cord to regenerate across the lesion sites but also we can engineer these hydrogels to contain cells or other therapeutic molecules to um, deliver additional therapeutic um, benefits. So you're to, seeding mm -hmm. a, a man-made ECM with the components necessary for the central nervous system to act like the peripheral nervous system and regrow and innervate a, a damaged area. Yeah, in a way, in a way, but we're not developing the material um, from scratch ourselves, so we would take the um, peripheral nerves. We a lot of our work has been done with um, rat sciatic nerves, so we would take the um, nerves from a rat and then we process that to develop our injectable hydrogels. Does this migrate very much? Like when you inject a damaged site, you know, what's the radius at which it has an effectiveness? Do you need to inject, you know, dozens or hundreds of times in a small radius for this to work? And does it migrate outside of the area and, you know, how well does this work so far? Oh, no, the gel doesn't really migrate outside of the cavity. It just fills the cavity and it stays in there. And if anything, it'll be degraded over time. Um, and then for the rat injury, um, rat spinal cord injury model, which we have tested our hydrogels, um, we only need to inject like six microliters of this pre-gel solution. So it's a very small volume that we're dealing with here. So how would you do this in people? Would you have to um, sacrifice part of a nerve, like one of their peripheral nerves that they didn't care about, and then uh, create these gels and, and seed them and then, you know, inject the, the spot of real trouble? Or how would this happen um, in people? No, ideally you want to take a donor nerve. Um, that way you don't create, like, additional donor site morbidity in the patient. Um, okay. So um, earlier I said Dr. Schmidt has developed this um, deserialized technique for peripheral nerves, and her technique was actually licensed by a biotech company called Axigen, which is actually based um, near Gainesville, Florida. Um, so we have, um, so there's a, there are ways to obtain the nerves from Axigen and then work with those nerves to create these hydrogels. So I imagine that's how it should be done for human patients. But we haven't what? tested, I don't, I don't think we're anywhere near testing this platform in humans yet. Well, why not? If, if um, why wouldn't there be an expedited path, you know, through the FDA for people that are paralyzed, you know, because of a spinal cord injury? Mm -hmm. It seems like you know, what, what harm would come to them by trying this? You know, even if you did kind of, you know, if you cannibalized, let's say they had like a, a T1 problem and they were, you know, quadriplegic, mm -hmm. what harm would come from trying to harvest something from like their their toe or their ankle or some, you know, a nerve there and then try to seed the area that's damaged? to try to restore most of their function? Oh, um, hmm. that's a good question. I mean, like with the spinal cord, um, like patients suffering from spinal cord injury, their immune response is generally weaker. So I'd imagine trying to take, um, perform additional surgery just to take those nerves out of their um, body. It's, I think that itself would be a pretty challenging case. Um, yeah. And then we also don't know if they're... Um, like I think we would we would need to make sure the nerves taken from the spinal cord injury patients um, 
retain similar ECM proteins and they can be processed similarly. Um, Have you identified yeah. in, the, in the rats so far what mm -hmm. specific, um, you know, proteins or chemicals are causing the regeneration? Have you isolated um, those to see what they are? We, no, we haven't tested those specifically, but generally what the field, um, I think, largely agrees upon is uh, collagen and laminin are the main ECM components that promote neural regeneration. Oh, have they, well, have they tried to just isolate those two and um, put that uh, into a I gel without taking not, it from not, the outside uh, Like, not specifically from the nerves themselves, but, I mean, there are ways to um, easily make hydrogels that are composed of collagen and laminin. But I am not aware if people have done that specifically for spinal cord injury repair. Yeah, I would think that would be an easier, you know, or a good con confirmatory path you don't mm -hmm. have to harvest that uh, sciatic nerve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work, you don't need to harvest anything. You could just culture, um, you can culture other cells or, and produce those two substances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so a lot of people do, like, culture um, cells like fibroblasts that deposit a lot of ECM to, and then harvest those cells deposited ECM to make scaffolds. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. So, um yeah, but I don't think people have done that specifically for spinal cord injury. I think people have used it for other tissue regeneration applications. Mm. This whole um, biomaterials, hydrogel-based um, approach to repair um, injured spinal cord, I think the whole concept is pretty new in itself, in and of itself. So what happens right now in a central nervous system uh, lesion? Is it just that extracellular matrix forms, but it has no growth factors? It has inhibitory factors in it? But there's still yeah, a scaffolding it's, it's, there, or is it is it random and it's not? Uh, is there no apparent scaffolding there, even if there were growth factors? Like in in like in regular spinal cord injury cases? Yes. Yeah. Um. So over time, like um, over time, you get this um, lesion cavity formed, and it's surrounded by a glial scar, which is filled with those inhibitory ECM components. Um. And then the lesion cavity is filled with um, fluids. Um. And also the glial scar barrier in and of itself um, inhibits neurons from um, crossing the cavity to regenerate across. Um, so, okay. I mean, like there may be growth factors, but, but the, the presence of the glial scar in and of itself is preventing the neurons from um, traversing across the lesion site, so to speak. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so a lot, um, so there was like a close to a, couple of decades ago, um, there was a breakout paper where um, a bacterial drive enzyme called chondroitinase ABC um, was shown to specifically cleave this, these CSPGs and allow the neurons to regenerate across the lesions. Um, so there's been a lot of um, research on using biomaterials to better deliver this enzyme um, to help remove this barrier, to break down this barrier. Okay, I was just wondering if the nature of the ECM in uh, you know the spinal cord when there's a lesion is the nature of mm -hmm. the ECM itself. Is it could it be a scaffolding, does, or does it have to be um, reconfigured in such a way that it would allow it to be would it, it would become scaffolding? I know it's devoid of growth factors. It actually has, has inhibitory factors in it, but again, is it still considered a scaffolding? Um, I don't think so. I don't think you would call that scaffolding. No. Okay, I was just wondering if it somehow had that characteristic, but uh, I guess not. So. No, um, no. I mean, at least my understanding is that, like, for scaffolding, 
you have to like inject it or implant it somehow, or at least that's mm -hmm. my. Um, mm -hmm. Right, structurally, it would have to change somehow. I got you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so what uh, what stage are you at with the uh, the rat experiments? Like, are you at a point where it uh, it's working and you want to move to the next stage, or you know, how much work is left? Do you think to make it a viable process, at least in rats? Um. So our lab has recently published a couple of papers showing the feasibility of this hydrogel platform. Um, first as a, like on its own, the hydrogel on its own, and second as a um, delivery carrier for Schwann cells. Um, so we are, so our lab is uh, actually now testing a different, a variety of different strategies to utilize this nerve-derived hydrogel to deliver um, growth factors or other therapeutic molecules or other cell types. Um, and I'd say um, those projects that are currently ongoing are pretty um, new at this stage. Okay, so pretty new. Do so you think it'll be a number mm -hmm. of years before you're able to, uh, to go to the next level? I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Okay. We're just starting. What and also, um, mm -hmm. well, I was gonna say, what do you think are some of the remaining challenges that are important? Um, that are important. Um, um, let's see. I think so. A major issue with biomaterials-based approach is that you can entice the neurons to regenerate into the scaffold, but um, it's harder to make the axons um, grow back into the native tissue because they like the scaffold so much. Um, that's one of the major issues with biomaterials-based approach for spinal cord injury repair, and I think um, there needs to be a way to better um, design the scaffold in a way that the neurons will not only want to start regenerating into the scaffold, but also um, extend out back into the native spinal cord tissue um, to form correct synapses and actually um, promote full or near-complete functional recovery. So it sounds like not the scaffold is important, but also at the edges of the scaffolding, the transition mm -hmm. to the currently healthy tissue is uh, it's super important to have the right transition so that it actually does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So like I think a lot of the axons um, that do regenerate into the scaffold tend to just stay in there. Yeah. So we need to find ways to make them go beyond. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, very good. So what's the best way for uh, people to find out more about, you know, what's going on in the Schmidt lab and, you know, ask questions and things like that? Um, so Schmidt lab, we have a lab website. Um, so if you just Google Schmidt lab, University of Florida, <laughs> uh, you'll find the link. So there's one way of um, staying up to date on what's going on in our lab. And also um, RPI Professor Schmidt also runs uh, Twitter accounts um, for the lab. So that's another um, way of finding more information on our lab, current events in our lab. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Young, I appreciate you coming. And I, I really hope that this technology, uh, you know, does well pretty quickly because it's super important. A lot of people need the help. So I appreciate mm -hmm, you coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope so too. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now. 
and the companies that are using these technologies for the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.